Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send us an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. In this message, Pastor Chad Gilligan begins a new series called Before and After. Through this series, we will learn about the biblical principle of the change that happens in our lives before God and after His work in our lives. Well, reality TV seems to dominate uh, the airwaves, doesn't it? And there's one kind of genre of reality TV that is extremely popular, and it's these home renovation programs where somebody buys a house, and then they go in and they fix it, or they flip it or flop it, or brothers that are fighting over something. You've seen the shows, right? How many of you spend far too much time watching renovation programs on TV? Okay, yeah, I, I've, uh, I, I love them. I like to watch that. It's fun to kind of see that. They go into a piece of a property that you just go, man, this thing is a dump. It is a wreck. And they're able to go in there and transform this thing. And I'll watch these shows, and, you know, and these people will go in there, and they'll walk in, and they'll go, okay, now take a look at this kitchen. And you look at the kitchen, and you're like, I don't even want to, I wouldn't even walk in that kitchen, let alone cook in that kitchen. And they're like, no, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a wall out so you can have an open floor plan, because who doesn't love an open floor plan, right? So we're going to give you an open floor plan, and then we're going to take the dining room, and we're going we're gonna to flip it with the kitchen, and we're going to put your refrigerator over there, and then we're going to make a, a prep space over here for you. And then right here, you're going to have this large, spacious island in the middle of the kitchen. And I'm watching this going, how are they going to do this? I just do not see an island there. And if anybody should see an island on TV, it's me. My last name's Gilligan. <laughs> and I just don't see it, right? I just don't know how it's going to happen. And then 45 minutes later, and, and that's 45 minutes you're never going to get back, by the way. 45 minutes later, they have this beautiful home. They have this incredible property. It's been, it's been renovated into a dream home. And then they love to show you the pictures of before and after. And it's really pretty astounding, isn't it? Here's what we're going to do for the next few weeks. We're going to see how this is a biblical principle. This idea of before and after, of the change that happens in our lives before God and after his work in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter two this morning. We've been working our way through the book of Ephesians and we are in chapter two today. We'll be in chapters two and three for the next four weeks or so. And considering this concept of before and after, let's jump right in. We're gonna look at the first seven verses today. Ephesians chapter two, beginning with verse one. Paul, if you remember, is writing to a church that he loves and he says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, you know, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And today, kind of walking through these seven verses, I want to give you two things to consider. And this is going to sound a little, uh, a little simplistic, but I'm hoping that it will help you to remember what we're looking at here. Today I want you to see our bad before and our awesome after. I want you to see this bad before 
And I want you to see this awesome after. I want you to see the difference, the contrast that Paul makes for people here that he's writing to. He's writing to this church that he loved. He's writing to us today, and he wants us to see the contrast between before that was so bad and an after that is so awesome. So let's start with the first part there. Number one, I wanna talk to you about our bad before today. I wanna talk to you about our bad before. And Paul makes it very clear. He starts out and he says, as for you, He's talking to these these folks that he started this church. He loves these people. He's coming out of this prayer, and he's saying, look, I want you to remember this. Before I talk to you about everything that God has done for you, I want you to remember where you've come from. I want you to remember where you were before God did that work in your life. And this is really an important thing for us to do at times because we can get very comfortable. We can get very relaxed. We can get very certain about ourselves. And remembering our before allows us to appreciate our after. Remembering our before allows us to appreciate our after. Sometimes we get so relaxed or apathetic in where we are that we forget where we've come from. Let me give you an example. You ever gone back and looked at pictures of when you were really young? Do any of you have some photos that you regret? (laughs) Yep, that would be one of them. I should have kept those glasses. I'm sure they're coming back. And I don't know who put me in that wicker chair. And you've left that up there far too long. Take that off of there. You know, there's times, there's times when I look in the mirror and I just go, you know, Chad, you're just not that cool. And then I go back and look at that picture and I go, but I've come a long way. I have come a long way. Rhonda, you did a good job on this renovation project. Um, It's good for you to see where you've come from because before helps you to remember how important the after is. We must look back at where we've come from to understand where we really are. This is what Paul's saying to the, the people in Ephesus. And before we jump into how he describes there before, let me encourage you with this. For many of us in this room, our life is is, is an after. We've already experienced what God does in life. But for some of you, what I'm about to describe as our before is actually your now. I'm gonna describe something and you're gonna go, that's that's not what I was, that's where I am. And truth is, I don't wanna be there. Truth is, that's not what I want my life to be. And if that's you, know this, that I'm gonna describe as before what is your now, but that doesn't have to be your now. Because what happened is Paul says to the people in Ephesus, before God, before you met him, before you experienced the life that only he can bring, this is what you were. That's your before, but it's not your after. So let me help you understand what he describes for us here. He talks about our before. He starts in Ephesians chapter two, verse one. Look again at what he said. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And I want you to see this, that before God, we were dead. Before God, before he stepped into our lives, before he made a difference, before God, we were dead. What's it like to be dead? Well, you, you can't see, you can't hear, you can't feel, you, you don't live. And when Paul talks about this, he's, he's not just saying it in like a, like a metaphorical sense. It's like they're dead. 
He's not just saying it in a future sense, like, like the difference between eternal life and eternal death. When he's talking about this, he's talking about someone's present reality where spiritually they're dead. They can't feel, they can't see, they can't hear. They really can't understand who God is and what he wants to do in their lives. They're, they're distant from him. It's this idea of this spiritual death, and the truth is that before God, we were dead. What causes that? Well, he says that you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And that, those transgressions, those sins are something that we've, we've all known, right? It's not just our shortcomings, although that's part of it. It's the choices that we make. It's the things that we do. It's the sin in our lives. It's the sin in the world that immediately separates us from God. And because of that, we find ourselves spiritually dead. And the truth is, there's nothing you can do about it. Sin is an epidemic, and there is no vaccination, you know, we like it because there's, there's, as children, we can get vaccines, and that vaccine's supposed to keep you immune to a disease. There's, there's not epidemics like there were in the past because you can be vaccinated against it, but for sin, there is no vaccination. I remember flying internationally at one point and was getting on a plane, and this guy was, was sitting like right in front of us, and he had this little deal that he wore around his neck that like kind of zzzz, like buzz, and we we're like, what? What, do you, what do you got there, dude? And he says, it's a filter. And what it did is he said it, it took the, the nasty air in the plane and it cleaned it and then it blew cold or uh, fresh air, clean air up into his face. And, and I'm like, that's kind of a cool idea, but I think you got taken, dude. That's, that's a little out there because you're still touching stuff. You're still sitting next to nasty me. And you can do everything that you want, but you're on this journey with all of us. And as a result, you're just as contaminated as the rest of us. Sin's the same way. It's an epidemic, and you can't dodge it. You can't avoid it. It's in all of us. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Where's it, where's it come from? Why is this? Well, listen to what he said again. He said, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you follow the ways of this world, he talks about the ways of this world. He's talking about the, the society, the culture, the world around us. Really, when it talks about the world in scripture, what it means is, is that you're far from God. If you're following the ways of the world, it means you're not following God. In fact, look at what he does say. Not only did you live in the ways of the world, but he says that you followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Well, he's describing the devil there. And he says, look, you were dead when you didn't follow God, but you followed the ways of the world. You were far from God, and instead, you followed the devil. And there's a lot of you who would say, look, I don't, I don't follow the devil. I mean, I'm not, I'm not satanic. I, I, I'm not a Satanist. But here's what Paul's saying here. He says, look, there's, there's only two options here. Either you follow God, or you are apart from God, and you are following the world and the spirit that controls what goes on in this world in this present time. We saw him say that in Ephesians chapter one. And some of you would say, well, look, I, I, I mean, if I gotta pick what team I'm on, I'm not wearing a jersey that says team devil. And the devil really doesn't care if you wear his jersey or not. The only thing he cares about is that you doesn't work, that you doesn't, that you doesn't use good grammar. That's what he cares about. <laughs> the only thing he cares about is that you don't wear team God. And if you're not following God, then the reality is, 
It's either you follow God or you're following the ways of this world that's being influenced by the devil. And if you are, where does that land you? You're dead. Back in 1992, there's a story that was told of a police officer in Los Angeles, California, who was um, going ahead of a street cleaning crew and was trying to clean up the area. It was a designated space. It was a time when they weren't supposed to be parked in those areas. And so he was out there, and he was either asking people to move their vehicles or he was ticketing them if they wouldn't. And so as he was going along, he came up on this vehicle that was sitting in a, in a spot that was, that was supposed to be clear. And he, he went up and approached the person there, and the person didn't say anything. So the, the officer just wrote out a ticket, took the ticket, window was open, slapped it on the dashboard. It was a $30 fine, just kind of walked away. What they found out later is that person who was sitting in the car had been shot 12 hours before and was dead. Just kind of sitting there, slunched over a little bit. Didn't even know that it had happened, of course. And the police officer had just come and slapped the ticket on there and walked away. And because they couldn't see, they couldn't hear, they couldn't feel, they were dead to what was going on around them. And for some of you, when the truth comes your way, it's hard for you to receive it because spiritually you're dead. Let me give it to you from another angle, though. For some of us, we're not the dead guy. We're like the police officer. And we try to go to others and we try to give them the rules and the facts. We try to slap them with a ticket and say, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're dead. Now, although that's true, it would be good for us to know that someone is dead before we try to approach them, right? Here's the reality of life. People far from God do not need to be given facts. They need to be given life. People far from God do not need to be given facts. What they need is not a citation on their dashboard. What they need is an encounter with the Savior, right? You know how they'll see that? They'll see that in your life. And they'll see that when the Holy Spirit works through my life. They'll see that when we allow Jesus to be alive in us. That's what will make the difference. Because before God, we're dead. Here's another thing Paul says to us. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. He also says this. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Here's what he says here. He says, not only are we dead, but that before God, we were lost. Before God, we were lost. We didn't really know where we were going. What were we doing? We were gratifying the cravings of our flesh. We were following its desires and its thoughts. And whatever was our internal instincts, whatever stirred up inside of us, whatever we thought was good, whatever felt good, whatever seemed right, that's what we were chasing down. That's what we were going after. And the truth is, he says that when you follow those things, you're following things that do not last. And where you're going to find yourself is a place where you are lost. You, you, anybody do a corn maze this fall? You ever been in a corn maze? At some point, you just get so frustrated because you really don't know where you're going. You're kind of you're so turned around that you just start going helter-skelter. You're just kind of all over the place because you're trying to find your way out, but you really don't know where you're headed. You know why? Because you're lost. And for many people, this is the reality of life, the things we chase after. Paul tells us that it's internal inside of us. James says the same thing. Look at this. James chapter 1, verse 13 in the New Testament. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death 
there is something inside of us, in every one of us, that draws us to chase after these things that the truth is they will not last. Probably, I'm guessing it's probably a couple months ago now at this point, I, I gave a sermon on Sunday morning that got more feedback, negative kind of feedback, probably than anything I've spoken on in, in recent days. I got emails, I got Facebook messages, I got text messages, and people stopped me in the atrium, people talked about it for a while. And if you remember, I, I told a story and people were really upset because I, I read some research that said that your cat does not love you. <laughs> and people did not like that at all. And I, look, I'm not, I didn't say that. I didn't say your cat didn't love you. I said I read this research that said your cat didn't love you. But people were hostile about it. And I was like, you have cat to be kidding me right now. What are you, why are people so upset about this, okay? So I want to try to redeem this a little bit and just help you understand this because, because cats can be fun. You know, Rhonda has a cat at our house and um, um, we, have you ever seen one of these little laser pointers? You ever seen one of these? Best five bucks you'll ever spend. This is better than TV, friends. I'm telling you this right now. If you have a cat, right? So my cat can be sitting, Rhonda's, excuse me, Rhonda's cat can be sitting there, just, and, and I'll walk in the room and she'll just look at me like, I hate you. You know that, that kind of cat thing, which is a love, right? It's true, but it's a love thing, but she's like, I hate you. And then I do this. I take that little laser pointer and I move it around and everything changes immediately, right? She kind of perks up and then you, you kind of move it slow, right? Have you ever done one of these little red dot things? You know, you kind of move it slow and you kind of move it around and then all of a sudden you jerk it around and she just, she becomes totally different. And she just goes after this thing, she's right? She's just everywhere after that little red dot. And you can get her to run. I can get her to kind of jump up the wall. I can get her to run into things. It's awesome. Hours of entertainment. Better than home improvement shows, $5 laser pointer and a cat. And it's interesting because she will, she will walk away from everything else in life to chase this little red dot that isn't going to last. It's there and then it's gone. Paul says that before God, there were these internal desires, these cravings that you tried to gratify, these little red dots that you chased after aimlessly, that you thought were the things that really mattered. And Paul says the things we chase after today will not last tomorrow. Those little red dots in our lives, the things that we thought would satisfy, the things that we thought would give pleasure, the things that we thought were what life was all about. And before God, that's what we chased after. Before God, that's what we thought mattered. But the things that we chase after today, he says, will not last tomorrow. Here's why. Because before God, you're lost. You're just kind of wandering around. You're just kind of chasing those little red dots. But that's what it was before that's what it was before you experienced his grace. That's what it was before you experienced his love. And it's critical for us to see this, that before God we were dead, before God we were lost, and look at what he says in verse three of Ephesians chapter two. He says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, those are those little red dots, like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath. Here's the truth, before God we were doomed. Before God, we were doomed because we were far from God, because we'd sinned against him. It was the state of humanity, and it's the state of our souls apart from God. You ever, you ever been at home, 
and you, you turn on the TV and there's the weather is on the news and they show you radar and you can see this storm that's coming. Let's call it a, a really aggressive thunderstorm because we don't want to talk about snow yet, right? So you look on the radar and you see this aggressive thunderstorm that's coming your way. In fact, it's like a centimeter from your house on the screen. What are you gonna do about it? You can't do anything about it. You can't turn it off. You can't run away. It's barreling down on you. You are underneath of it and there is nothing you can do because that storm is coming and you're doomed. Paul says that by nature, we were all subject to wrath. We're all gonna receive it. It's coming all of our way. And friend, there is nothing that you can do about it. Why? Because God's mean, because God's cruel, because God doesn't like you, because he doesn't think you're good enough. There was this really interesting um, kind of story in USA Today yesterday about a church that has bought a home that used to belong to boxer Mike Tyson. Has anybody seen this? This church has bought this home, and they're going to turn it into their church. Isn't that crazy? That would be like turning a movie theater into a church. That's craziness. <laughs> it's craziness. Well, what's funny is this home, and it's, it's massive, and it's huge, is just about two and a half hours away in a little town called Southington, Ohio. Mike Tyson bought it when he was training at, at Don King's camp that was close to Cleveland. And Southington, where this, where this massive home is, is the little town that I grew up in. This is right outside of Warren. So I know this house. We used to, we used to drive by it just to kind of get a glimpse. There's a big, big gate out there that says Mike Tyson, big iron Mike, iron gate that's out there. There's this little grocery store. There's this tiny little grocery store in Southington. My aunt used to work there, and she used to tell stories about how um, you know, his security guards would come in and, uh, and buy food, and they'd rent these VHS cassettes. Do you remember those? We used to rent movies. And uh, it was just kind of an interesting thing. And I, and, I, and I stumbled on that story, and I stumbled on another story this week about Mike Tyson and a documentary that was done about him and what the director said about him. And if you don't know about Mike Tyson, probably one of the, arguably one of the greatest boxers of our day, but also kind of a little bit crazy, right? Mike's just a little bit out there. Um, he's, he's, you know, been... Uh, 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 accused multiple times and, and, uh, of, of all kinds of different assault, including one that landed him in prison for about three years. Um, and then there was that one time he bit that guy's ear. Do you remember that? Just that, I mean, just that little bite thing that happened. Here's, here's what, this guy made a documentary about Mike Tyson. I want you to listen to what he said. Listen to this. He said, the vast majority of the people who have put Mike down don't have a tenth of the intelligence or the character that he has. Mike is a fundamentally very, very good human being. That doesn't mean he hasn't done bad things. Mike Tyson said this about himself when they asked him about the Holyfield fight where he kind of took a bite out of, he says this, I'm a good person, but I went insane. The lady that lived next to Mike Tyson in Southington, her husband was a really good friend of my dad's. And when he went to prison, I remember her telling my parents, she said, you know, I don't know what he did to that girl, but he really is a very nice man. Because we want to think that. We want to say that. And it's easy for you to say to yourself, well, I'm not, I'm not Mike Tyson. But we say that about ourselves. I'm a really good person. I just sometimes I do things that are a little insane. I've done some bad things, but I'm, I'm really a very nice man. And Paul says it doesn't matter because you're doomed. That storm's coming, and there's nothing you can do about it. Not because God hates you, but because you've rebelled against God. 
And because God is righteous and he's holy and he's perfect, there is no other option except that, 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 what does he say? You're subject to wrath. And Paul, if we stopped right there after verse three, this would be a pretty downer of a sermon, wouldn't it? But he changes it. Look at verse four. Look at what Paul says, Ephesians chapter two, verse four. Because remember how he's left us now, right? He's left us helpless and hopeless. (laughs) You can't do anything about it, and you have no hope. But he addresses our helplessness and our hopelessness in this way. Ephesians chapter four, verse two. He says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. I actually like the way the ESV says it a little bit better. Look at how it starts. The English Standard Version says, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Look at the beginning of that verse. It has two of the most powerful words in all of scripture, but God. Do you remember when Moses and the Israelites found themselves up against the Red Sea? That was helpless, that was hopeless, but God stepped in. Do you remember when David was up against Goliath? Kind of a mismatch, but God was there. Do you remember Daniel in the lion's den? Some of you feel like those lions right now, your stomach is just rumbling, growling. It was over for Daniel, but God was there. The one who said he was the savior of the world came and died on a cross. Seemed like the end on Friday, but God changed it. Paul, the guy that wrote these words, if you don't know his story, he was actually kind of a terrorist. He was persecuting the Christians. He was throwing them in prison. He was having them murdered. But God came and changed his life. And what Paul is saying here is this. No matter how dead and lost and doomed your situation might be, here's two of the most powerful words in scripture, but God can come and change the whole story. And he can take your bad before, and let's look at the second thing, he can turn it into our awesome after. He can make it into something that is better than we could know or that we could understand or that we can believe because of God's love for us, says God is filled with love, because of his love, there is mercy and there is grace that comes out of him. There is mercy and grace that God gives to us. Because of God's love, we have mercy and grace. And what this whole passage is about is this. You were dead and lost and doomed, and then God stepped in, and then after that, after you experienced his grace, everything changed. Once his grace came to you, once you experienced what Jesus did for you, that made all the difference. It took your bad before, turned it into an awesome after, because of grace, I am not what I used to be. Because of grace, I'm not what I used to be. So what are you? How do you explain it? Let me give you just a few thoughts. Ephesians chapter two, verse five, look at what he says. That because of grace, it says that we are made alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. See, before God, we were dead, but after grace, we are alive. After grace, we are alive. We have his life. We have him inside of us, and it changes everything for us. With Christ, there is life. It makes all the difference. We, we were encouraged several years ago, and so as a church, we have, one of those, uh, we have one of those AED machines. Do you know what those are? Those are those deals that like if someone had a heart attack or, or something were to happen where they had a, a cardiac emergency, you can take the AED machine, and you can, you can strap it onto them, and it kind of gives them a little little charge. It's like jumper cables for a sick person is kind of how it works, right? And I thought maybe I'd pull it out today and we'd get a volunteer and try it out. 
but we're a little short on time, so maybe next week. Come back. Who knows what we'll do. And, uh, but this idea is you take something that was dead and you make it alive again. This is exactly what Jesus did on the cross. The cross took the death in our hearts and changed it so that we could know life. Because of his grace, we have experienced what we could find in no other way. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead have brought life to those who believe in him. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead have brought life to those who believe in him. And this life is powerful. It comes to us, and it makes all the difference. It helps us to see and to hear spiritually. It helps us to know what life is really about. And I could tell you all about it, but the truth is this. Until you experience it for yourself, you will never truly comprehend what it means to be alive in Christ. It comes because of his grace that he has shown to us and all that he wants to give to us. It is life and peace, Paul calls it in Romans chapter eight. This is a powerful thing that we can't miss and that we don't wanna walk away from. Before God, we were dead, but after we experience his grace, we are alive. But not only are we alive, look at what he goes on to say. And let me encourage you, watch these verses here for a moment, verses six and seven, because it can get a little uh, theologically heavy, but here's what he says. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. If before God we were lost, then after grace we are found. After grace we are found. We're no longer chasing red dots around, just trying to find meaning in life. We've found it, we have it, and it's found in Jesus Christ. There's a difference between your loss and when you're found. And when you know where you are, then you start to move with confidence. You start to live with confidence. And we can live with confidence when we know where we are, when we know what we've experienced. Now let me go back to verses six and seven, and I wanna walk you through what he says here. Because here's the deal, for some of you, you're still lost, and you need to be found. For others of you, you've experienced an after in your life. You've allowed God's grace to change you. You're just still living like you're lost, though. You're not living like you're found. And you wonder why you're frustrated, and you wonder why you can't get a grip on temptation, and you wonder why life seems to be kind of purposeless at times. And part of it is because we've not taken the truths of what this scripture says and actually appropriated them to our lives. So look at what he says again. Ephesians chapter two, verse six, he says, and God raised us up with Christ. You know what that means? It means you're not down where you were anymore. It means you don't have to live in that defeat because he's brought you up to a place of victory. For some of you, there are words that were spoken to you years ago that still resonate in your head. It's something family said. It's something an employer said. It's something somebody said at school. It's something you tell yourself all the time. And you've allowed that to define you, and you've forgotten that instead, who you are in Christ raises you up and gives you victory over that thing. It's not found in you. It's found in Christ. But you are raised up with him, Paul says, it's found in him. And if your identity is in him now, then you don't have to live in that defeat anymore. Those words that resonate in your head, those things that you say over and over again, they don't have to define you because now your identity is in him because you have been, listen to what he says, raised up with Christ and 
seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, which means that not only do we have victory, but we have authority and power because of our, because of our identity with Christ. When things come our way, I'm not saying there's not challenges. I'm not saying there's not difficulties. I'm just saying we have the power to overcome those things. We looked at that several weeks ago. We have the power to overcome those things because of who Jesus is and what he did for us. So you're not chasing red dots anymore. You have victory. You have power. And watch this. You have purpose in your life. He goes on in the rest of that passage to say that God's plan was that he could reveal how great he was through you. He's showing off through you. We're going to see here in a few weeks that your life has incredible purpose in him. You have something to live for. You are found. Our lives have a victorious, powerful purpose from God. And he wants you to live in that and not to wander anymore, not to question that anymore. Here's, here's maybe the best analogy that I, that I think maybe we can use that will help us in the physical world. For all of us, we were lost before God, right? We've established that. Imagine that that means you were spiritually homeless. You had no place to call home, so you just wandered, and you had to fend for yourself, and you were at the mercy of the elements, And then God said, look, I'm gonna make you my child. You are my son. You are my daughter. So you don't have to be homeless anymore. You can come and be in my home. You can know my provision. You can know my grace. You can know my victory and my power and my purpose for your life. And that sounds really good. You have a home, but you continue to live over here like you're homeless. And you've walked away from that, or you haven't believed that that was really for you, or you haven't accepted that that's there. And sometimes that's just a matter of saying, God, I need to buy faith to receive what you say about me. For others of us, it's a process to get through that. We've got to peel back some of the hurt. We've got to push through some of the pain. But here's how that is. You don't have to be spiritually homeless anymore. You're not lost. You're found. Now, look, for those of you who are still living in a before life, you haven't let God's grace change you. That's a wonderful promise that you can find purpose for your life. You don't have to chase red dots anymore. And for others of you, you're, you're an after. You've experienced God's grace. But every time the enemy pulls out his little laser pointer, you just start chasing it around like it's the coolest thing in town. You keep chasing after things that are not going to last. And God has promised you that you can be found and you can find purpose in your life. But you're still wandering around like you're homeless. And God has so much more for you. See, after grace, we are alive. After grace, we are found. And let me give you a third thing. After grace, we are saved. After grace, we are saved. Paul says, it is by grace you have been saved. And next week, we're gonna take time and we're gonna talk about this idea of what does it mean to be saved. We're gonna, we're gonna give kind of a real clear explanation. I know that's kind of a loaded word in Christianity and theology. We're gonna talk about it and what it means and what Paul tells us about salvation. But here it is in a nutshell, that Jesus rescued us from death by dying in our place. And we're not doomed anymore. That storm cloud of God's wrath doesn't have to roll down on you. Even in spite of the fact that my life is tainted, in spite of the fact that I'm on my own, dead and lost and doomed, by grace, I'm saved. And that's a beautiful thing. So two quick thoughts, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. The, the first is this. 
if you're listening to this message, it really boils down to the fact that you're either a before or you're an after. Either you're living your life in a way today like it's before God's work in your heart, or you're living your life today as an after experiencing God's grace. So let me talk first to the afters. If you would say to me, Chad, I have known his grace, and that because of Jesus' death on the cross and because of his work in my life, I can be alive, I can be found, and I can be saved, then here's my encouragement to you. If your life is an after, then live like it. (laughs) If your life is an after, then don't live like before anymore. In fact, that's the whole point of this letter that Paul writes to the church. If your life isn't after, live like it. If he's given you life, then don't let the enemy keep you dead anymore. If he has told you that you are found, then stop chasing red dots and living like you're lost. I know it's easier said than done, but there's so much more peace and life when we find our purpose in him. If you don't have to experience his doom because you are after his grace, then live like you've been saved because God wants you to live in that joy and he desperately wants others to see his power at work in your life. So if your life isn't after, then live like it. The second group then, if your life is a before, then believe that there is grace because for some of you, as I've talked about being spiritually dead, being spiritually lost, being spiritually doomed, You know that feeling. You know it's you. And today, if your life is a before, then I want you to believe that there's grace. A couple months ago, there was a lot of news coverage about Hurricane Katrina. It was kind of the 10-year mark from when that had happened back in August. Came across the story of helicopter pilot Ian McConnell, who was a part of an air station in the Coast Guard, and he was summoned at 4 a.m., on the morning of August 30th to a training center in Mobile, Alabama that quickly became the base of operations for relief for Hurricane Katrina. Here were their orders. They were to keep five helicopters airborne on missions at all time around the clock. Search and rescue. Go out and save people's lives. They were not at all prepared for what they were about to see. They got out there and found that there was this stretch of railroad track that ran across the ocean that when the hurricane came in, it took it off of its gravel bed and moved the whole track 15 feet. They saw a motor home, or no, excuse me, a houseboat that was floating down US Highway 90. They flew over the city of New Orleans and it was completely covered in water. So they got right to work. They were airlifting stranded people from the rooftops and out of windows. They were delivering them back to safety at the Superdome. And to their chagrin, however, they were only able to help a relatively few amount of the survivors. And in an interview, McConnell shared why. Let me read to you his words. He says this, on our first three missions, we saved the lives of 89 people, three dogs, and a cat. Okay, cat people, and a cat. We're friends now, okay? On the fourth mission, to our great frustration, we saved no one, but not for lack of trying. The dozens we attempted to rescue refused to be picked up. Some people told us to simply bring them water and food. You're trying to live in unhealthy conditions and the water will stay high for a long time, we warned them. Still, they refused. McConnell concludes, he says, I felt frustrated and angry 
Since we had used up precious time and fuel, we had put ourselves at risk during each rescue attempt. I felt like these people were ungrateful. But in truth, he says, they did not know how desperate their situation was. There were people who were in a desperate situation. They didn't realize how doomed they were. And they failed to see how desperately they needed to be saved. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he says, before God, you were doomed. You were in desperate need of salvation. But after grace, you are alive, you are found, and you are saved. So would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? And I just want to ask two questions this morning. First is this. Some of you are here and you would say, I'm an after, but I haven't been living like it. I've been chasing more red dots than I should. And I've been living more lost than found. And today, if my life is an after, then I need to live like it. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I I need to start living. Yeah, thanks, man. I need to start living like an after. Not lost, but found. here's Here's a second question. Maybe for some of you, as I describe this, you'd say, Chad, it's... It's not that I'm an after, it's that my life is in a before. And I've never really let God change my heart. Or maybe at one point I did, but then I, I kind of took those changes back. And I've been living my life in a way that is dead and that is lost. I've been living my life in a way that is doomed. And today, I need to go from before to after. And I need to make Jesus Christ my Lord and my Savior. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Today, I need to go from before to after. Yeah, thanks, thanks. I wanna pray with you, anybody else? I need the salvation that only Jesus can bring. I need to go from before to after today. Is there anybody else? If you raise your hand either one of those times, whether you're in this room or you're in Auditorium 2 or maybe you're watching on a screen somewhere, I just wanna invite you to to pray this prayer with me. If you raised your hand or if you know that you've experienced God's grace, would you pray this, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your son to die for my sin. And I ask today that you'd forgive my sin, that you would change my life, take me from before to after, from death to life, from lost to found, from doomed to saved. I give my life to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.